Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. A while back, I got some great advice after a podcast I had filmed. Some of the advice was to really just keep the podcast and interviews more free-flowing and like a conversation. I know this will really help in the future. It wasn't the easiest thing to hear, but it's very worth it. So today, Donald Tease goes right away into talking about how he reached out to coaches that he's worked with. He reached out for any feedback he could get. It was sometimes positive and sometimes negative, but it did help him in the long run. I think it's very important for everyone to take any advice they can get and use it for the better. And that's been a struggle of mine to really take the feedback, not get mad about it, and use it in the future. Don is a very positive person, and that's really needed throughout times like this. So I really hope you enjoy his positivity and everything else today. Enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Donald Tease. I have seen him all over Twitter, and he is a very positive towards the sport. He got his first coaching job at Rosemont College as the men's assistant coach. He has spent time at Huntingdon College as the assistant coach for the women's program. He then went on to Westland College, where he was the women's head coach. Now he spends his time at Mansfield University as the assistant women's coach and is on the student athlete advisory committee. Thank you so much for coming on, Don. Is there anything else about your background or story that you would like to share? No, Anna, thank you for having me. I think that you uh, hit the nail right on the head with uh, my bio. So it's a pleasure to be here. So on this podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful, I always start with the same three questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? I think for me, the beautiful game is about having fun. Um, A couple of months ago, I had called former coaches and players. For me, I wanted to get back to uh, my my peak of my coaching, which was back in 2016, 2017, and I asked them, you know, what did I do good? What, what was something with my sessions, how I coached uh, that really stood out to you? And they always said you made it fun, you had direction, um, but most importantly, you cared. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is making a difference. I talk about it often. And uh, for me, the difference with the game and how it impacts people's lives is kind of incredible. So uh, it it is the beautiful game because it impacts everybody and everybody has something to take from the game of soccer. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Yeah, so for me, I think that some of the actions that I take are, for me, when we step onto the lines, when we step onto the field, I'm a really tough coach. Um, I can be hard on them, but once they get off the field, You know, you sometimes can come into my office and you can see six or seven of them um, just hanging out in the office. I have drawings on the board from kids night outs and so on and so forth. So uh, I think it's about that holistic approach, especially being in the college game, uh, knowing that, yes, soccer is important. Yes, we want to be competitive and we want to win games. But more importantly, they're going to go off into their professional fields and do something more. And so I think for me, my actions are just making sure that I can keep the game fun for them, still being competitive, but also giving them that great experience and helping them guide them towards their future professions and being able to be that positive spark for them uh, in their lives and in their worlds. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? 
I think for me, I, I keep harping on this fun aspect of the game. I think that, in, especially in the college game, I think a lot of coaches can be really tough. Um, I think that sometimes that the, the love of the game uh, can kind of get taken away uh, just based on the competitive nature of the sport. And so uh, for me, it's just constantly harping on the fun aspect of we're able to have fun and, you know, going through our lives, soccer is going to end eventually. Um, I think that us as coaches and, you know, players oftentimes too, um, continuously watching soccer on TV uh, and live streams, they were brought to the sport for a specific reason, a special reason. And so uh, to be able to have fun and be able to have that type of impact from such a um uh, such a sport such an activity i think that that's huge so i just constantly harp on um being positive and making sure that we have fun throughout the entire process so that we can do something special in our lives moving forward because soccer will end at some point so earlier I mentioned you being a very positive influence, and I know you've preached that already. So how are you able to stay positive through these tough times? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, right now we're actually packing up our offices and, and starting to uh, prepare to work remote. I know that coaches across the country are uh, going to have to do the same things. I see a lot on social media right now that uh, coaches are starting to connect more and more because they're going to be away from their players. Um, I, I think that we have to understand and be realistic that the world is in a, a tough position right now. I do have a background in history, and I know that history is repeating itself. So uh, for, for me to know that some of the, the best times are ahead of us, even through this, this, this dark hour, you know, in the world and in the country, I think that, you know, you got to stay positive because, if you don't, it's just going to, like you said uh, before, it, it, you can get bored. Um, you can kind of spiral in different directions and kind of lose interest. So you have to be constantly able to engage um, in the sport that you love. I remember uh, Nick Rizzo saying on his uh, interview with you that, you know, it's not really a, uh, it's not really a job for us. We don't see it as work because we come in and we enjoy it every day. And now that, you know, we're not able to go into the offices or get onto the playing field anymore. It's going to be a lot tougher. So we're going to have to be able to engage, but I don't want to be a part of that uh, negative environment of uh, being an energy vampire to others or uh, just being someone that people can't come to for help and guidance and just being a friend um, at this point, because a lot of people are going to be connecting more and more now, um, now that we're not able to connect face to face uh, like I said, get on the field. So you've got to stay positive through these tough times. How can players stay positive through times like now? Great question. I think that it's very difficult. Um, I know that one of my players came in yesterday and was having a difficult time with soccer, um, kind of being taken away from her. Um, soccer is an outlet for a lot of us. Soccer is something that I know in my personal life is something that I've gone towards to really help me get through out of tough funks and situations. And uh, for me, I think that they're going to be using this time a lot to reflect, but we're going to be have to as coaches um, and teammates too have to reach out to each other and be that support system for all. 
um, we're going to have to work obviously individually, but I think it's a great time to work on ourselves as individuals. Oftentimes we're getting advice from others. We're getting help on the field and now we're put into a tough situation and uh, we're out of our elements. So can we turn this into a positive and can we we'll learn from this experience and be able to work on ourselves as a whole, um, our self-reflection. I talk about, you know, be the best version of yourself, be the best reflection of yourself often. And so can you look in the mirror right now and say to yourself, are you the best reflection and version of yourself? And if you can't say that, this is a great time and opportunity to work on yourself in that individual setting um, while having others in that same situation to be able to to make it a a better case a a better day because there's going to be a lot of tough days ahead of for us all as coaches as players family members uh, not being able to see each other not being able to interact with people face to face um, the world has constantly gone to social media and cell phones and facetime not being able to, to talk with people and we're going to be going towards that more again but are we able to develop that personal relationship with everybody now while working on ourselves, um, being confined to our houses, being confined to our backyards, you know, limiting ourselves um, from with social distancing, you know. So I, I think that it's a great time for us to work on ourselves individually, but we have to be able to support each other too. So is there any anything specific that your players are doing while not being able to play? I think that some of them are trying to have a little fun uh, and are trying to make the best out of the situation. Um, I'm just going to post a picture today, later on today. Uh, they made a makeshift uh, Foursquare game in one of our multi-purpose rooms, and so they were playing. Uh, they were playing Foursquare in there, and um, just, just being able to talk with each other. I guess you know. I think that. It's a tough situation with the, the student athletes and players that are currently on campus. There's not many of them. A lot of them have gone home. And even those ones that have gone home um, have constantly connected with myself and others, teammates, to be able to kind of pass the time. Because uh, we don't know how long of a difficult time it may be for the next couple of weeks, couple of days, couple of months. We don't know. We really don't know. And so we got to live in the moment and make the best of what we can do. And so um, some of my players have been reading. I know that one of the players stole my book um, by Coach Shea, actually, that I bought a couple weeks ago. And so uh, she had already read uh, most of the book before even leaving to go home, and she took it home with her. I know that some are going to be doing things on the couch. I know some people are going to watch TV, Netflix, and all that stuff. Um, but the hope is that all players will go out and kind of work on themselves individually, their footwork uh, and their technique in their backyards and kind of get back to what they used to do back in the day and you, what kids used to do when they were six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and going out in their backyards and just juggling the ball, getting touches, hitting the wall on the side of the house and mom and dad come outside and yell. They're going to be working on themselves. Um, I think that none of my players – are going to have a problem or issue with it. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough, but uh, they tend to, to find ways to, to pass the time uh, and to better themselves. So, I know you've po coached both the men's and women's game. What are some of the main differences you've seen? Yeah, I think that I've always preferred the women's side of the game. I think that between men's and the women's game, I think that they are totally different games at the same time. They are the same game. Uh, it, it's, that competitive nature, I think that 
there's differences in how they practice. I think that there's differences in how the games are played. I think that how they bond as a team has been the most impactful aspect of what I've taken out of it. I know that when you coach men's and specifically as a student athlete and playing on a men's team, I know that we were constantly sitting around and kind of hanging out. Um, and, and in the female game and the women's game, they're doing the same thing. Uh, but I think they want to create better relationships with everybody. I think that they're very uh, on task with their, their classwork and they really keep up with their studies and they want to be better. They want to have that holistic student and athlete approach um, towards them and they want to be their absolute best in both environments. And so I've seen that in both the men's and women's game that you know, for soccer, they're really tough. And one of my players a couple of years ago put it best, they're relentless female students. And that really held tight to me. And it's, I don't understand it because as a male coach, there's some things that I just don't understand. Uh, but for me to see how hard they want to work is absolutely incredible um, sometimes compared to the men's game. Did you find that your coaching philosophy changed once you started coaching women? No, I actually think that it developed even more. Um, I talk about purpose. I think that we all have a higher purpose. Um, it was based, at least the word purpose was based on Messiah College's uh, method of how they've won national championships. But I, I put passion, unity, responsibility, positivity, opportunity, sportsmanship, and excellence in academics. Uh, and that's purpose. That's the acronym. Um, I think that it's not really changed um, all that much. I think that it's reassured me that I'm doing the right things as a coach. Um, I think that you have to be able to understand that, especially in the college game, you're going to be coaching them for four years, but you're going to know them for the next 20 years. And so for me, I want to make sure that they're passionate about their academic fields and passionate about soccer. I want them to be unified. I want them to be a part of a family. I want them to gain the skill sets uh, and being able to be excellent in their academic fields. I want them to be good sports. I want them to, to get all these attributes that are going to help prepare them for the real world. Um, for me, I take that holistic approach very seriously. I think that more oftentimes than not, coaches are focus too much on winning. I think winning comes as a byproduct of the success you do off the field. And so if you're doing the right things off the field with team culture, team bonding, focusing on the, the little details and actually caring, I think that it goes a long way. And so for me, my coaching philosophy really hasn't changed from men's to women's. I think it's only reassured me that I'm going in the right direction with that, uh, with all my student athletes that I have had in the past and the ones that I have now. So how can the game be competitive but still fun? How can the game be competitive and still fun? I think it starts off with the coach. I, I really do. I think that we are in a society where oftentimes than not winning is the, the main focus, whether that's at the club level, the high school level, the college level. And as a college coach, yes, a part of our job is winning 100%. There's no doubt about it. Um, but at the same time, we can do it in a fun way. For my practice sessions, I always start off with a fun, dorky little game, uh, get their spirits up, their energy up, uh, kind of the chatter out a little bit too. Uh, but it puts a smile on their face right from the get-go and it starts practice off on the right foot. And, you know, 
practice begins to get more competitive, more harder, and extremely intense. But at the end, I asked them, did you have fun? Did you learn something? And did we get better as a program? And I think that's important. And the day that it consistently becomes that they're not having fun, that they're, it's not consistent or consistent, or it's not helping our program, I need to reevaluate myself as a coach. And for us as coaches, we have to constantly be able to reevaluate and evaluate what we're doing in order to give them the best student athlete experience possible, especially at the college level. Working with high schools and, and clubs uh, for random and various training sessions, um, I want it to be a fun environment. You know, we as players, I was a player once a couple of years ago. We were brought to the game because, one, we loved it. Two, it was either an outlet for us. Or three, we had fun with it. You know, soccer needs to be fun. If not, you lose interest in it. A lot of student athletes at the college level quit their teams and leave their teams or transfer because they're not having fun. If we're taking away that aspect of the game, even when they get to the college level, I think we're doing something wrong as a society and as a, as a coaching community. We need to be able to make it fun, make it positive, still make it intense and competitive. Um, but we can do all those things collaboratively uh, in order for us to both be successful, but for them to be successful in the future too. Um, so that when they have their kids 20 years down the road, their kids are having fun playing soccer, the game that their parents loved over and over again for the next several generations. So I know often young women and girls are a little scared to be physical. How can a coach break past this fear and get their players to be strong and physical? No, of course. Um, like I said, um, that one player talked about being relentless female student athletes, um, but they also, the very next phrase says, and are also fragile at times, and they need that reassurance from their coach. And that sticks with a coach throughout their career. And for me hearing that, I think that it's really important to make sure that they have that environment, that safe environment where when we get on the field, it's extremely competitive, but it started off the field. Um, one of the things that I did this past year, and I've done it in years past, is I call it the soccer circle. And I asked them three questions. I asked, what do you want to accomplish here at the school? Why did you come here? What do you want your legacy to be? And then I ask them, why do you wake up in the morning? And it's a really powerful exercise, team bonding exercise, but you learn so much about the student athletes. And um, this is going to sound harsh at first, uh, but it's not. I made 20 women soccer players cry and an and a older gentleman cry. But it's because I talk about how soccer meant to me and how my outlet was my father had brain cancer. And it was something where I would take my rollerblades and go up to the soccer field and play with my friends. It's why I wanted to get involved in soccer um, as a career path, because it was so important for me in my growing up that I want to be able to do that for others uh, during their development. And especially at the college level, when they're going to go off and be doctors and nurses and teachers and um, special ed teachers. Um, they're, they're going to do some incredible things and help out several people throughout their lives. And if I can help them out, then I made a difference to one person that's going to make a difference to another person and make a chain reaction. And so because I developed that relationship with the players off the field and they're able to come into the office and ask questions and ask for advice, 
um, it's able to translate onto the field where we can be competitive and we can be tough on them. Um, if you if you ask one of my players about uh, something that I've adapted called the lucky triple sevens, their their jaws drop and they're like, oh gosh, like this is going to be a tough session. But they get through it. And one of the players one time said, thank you, we needed this. And so being able to to develop that relationship as a male coach with female student athletes, um, knowing that they need that reassurance, they know that they can come into the office. They know that I'm a phone call or text away um, and I'm more than willing to go above and beyond through, for them through a wall because my hope is that if I can do that with them, that when we get onto the field, that they can stand side by side with me and we can run through a wall together to be competitive, to be successful and to go to new heights. How did you develop? How did you develop the soccer circle? How did I develop the soccer circle? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that for me, soccer was—it was so important for me growing up. My family was in such a tough environment um, with financial struggles, with health issues. Uh, my father had brain cancer, and uh, it was a very difficult time for me. And the question that I've always asked myself is why do I wake up in the morning and how can I be the best reflection of myself and he was bedridden for four years before he passed away and I always said that I wanted to get up and walk for him because I have the use of my legs I talk about in the story how the very last words that he said to me were thank you uh, for tucking him in with a blanket um, a month before he passed away. I talk about him being um, on several um, different things in a hospital that are very intense to see as a child, um, at the, even at the age of 17, extremely intense that um, even haunt me to this day. Uh, but it was something where I wanted to be able to bring my personal life and why I do it onto the field. Um, I loved when we worked with little kids uh, where we just brought everybody to the circle and they just start dribbling, like do little messy touches, do a scissors, um, try to juggle twice or flip the ball up uh, while moving around the circle. And I thought it's a great idea uh, of bringing it right from the start of the season because everybody starts on the same pedestal and platform of, all right, we're, we all know why we're here for a reason. We all know why we're going to be doing what we do to be successful because we're here for a purpose. We have someone that we're fighting for. Um, this past winter, um, one of the stories that I'm gonna start implementing into the soccer store world is um, I had a tough situation with my grandmother passing away and um, I held her hand and uh, she said, it, she pulled in and said it was gonna be okay to me essentially. And um, it was a tough, it was a tough winter, it was a tough Christmas. Um, but I know other players go through that. I know other coaches go through that. I know other people go through that. And being able to relate with off the field struggles, I think is a great way to transition onto the field and start developing relationships because we know that we're here for a reason. Yeah, it's not just being competitive. It's not just winning games. I think that soccer gives that outlet. I think that soccer is something that we value in our lives because it's something that we love to do. It's a beautiful game. And so to be able to develop it, I think was all about bringing my personal experience and what I have had to struggle with in my life because I know other people are coming onto the field and have those struggles too.
and I want to make sure that they know that I am there for them and that the team is there for them and the program. And we're going to do some special things here and we're going to be a family while helping each other out. How does being a phone call or text away help the team culture? How does it help the team culture? I think that it's twofold. I don't want to get text messages at nine to 10 o'clock at night saying, Hey, what show should I watch on Netflix? Um, but it's more about, you know, how can I get better? Or, Hey, is there a workout that I can do? Hey, I need someone to talk to um, about something. Can I speak with you a little bit about it? I think that having that is extremely valuable. I remember uh, four years ago, I had a player who we played in Atlanta, Georgia, and she jumped up for a ball and fell down awkwardly. She lost sensation in her feet and uh, legs, couldn't walk. Uh, went with her to the hospital, was there with her the whole entire way. Um, traveling all the way back after talking with doctors, getting the sensation back. And she was back on the field two, two days later into practice after losing sensation in her legs. A couple of weeks later, we pulled her from her starting spot and she didn't know why and she didn't understand. And the first person that she texted was me. So she came by and we talked. Um, and basically it was just about limiting her, her playing time and why we make those coaching decisions because we're there for the best interest of you. But, um, you know, we got to look and we got to look out for you, but we're also trying to help the team moving forward. And, and we're, we're trying to get you to understand too why we make the decision. Um, I think having that support system is huge. I know that there's players, even on my team right now, that don't have that support system at home. And that's why you probably see eight players in the office constantly here. Um, it, it's, it's amazing to see sometimes. Uh, sometimes I don't get my work done, which I tell them, like, hey, I, you guys got to leave. But um, to know that they find some type of value uh, in me, in my person, and what I stand for that they can come to me about anything, but also that they have that sense of comfort coming into the office and, and asking those questions because they know I genuinely care. Uh, I think goes a long way with the team culture because having that coach that's going to go above and beyond for them off the field is going to do the exact same thing for them on the field. And they, and the hope is that they'll join me as a coach and their teammates as well in, in pursuing those aspirations. What happens to a player if they're not given the right support from a coach? I think that's a difficult question, and I, I don't think it's answered quite often, to be honest with you, and I don't think it's answered in a genuine, true way. Um, if I'm being truthful and honest with you, I've seen coaches throughout my time in, in the college game the last five years. I've seen players quit teams. I've seen player, players leave teams. I've seen players talk about how um, they don't love the game anymore. And, and the fact that that can boil down to a coach sometimes causing that, um, it's terrible. It's horrible. And, and I think that there's no room for that in our profession. I think that bringing the, the positive aspect and holistic approach to soccer is so important and vital uh, for us coaches and players that if, if you're in the profession for the wrong reason of just winning, flat out, I don't think that you should be in it. I was in uh, an interview a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I had asked the players three questions, very similar to the soccer circle. And one of the answers was very 
unique, but also very eye-opening because it happens consistently in the college game. And I can imagine it happens in the high school and um, club levels too. They go, we were afraid to come to practice after games because we didn't want to get yelled at and our coach was too, so negative. And so it, it's so it's alarming, but at the same time, this is what happens sometimes at the, the college level and at the high school and club level that I don't think is talked about enough that coaches can be the cause of players not having fun, wanting to quit the team, wanting to leave the team, the leader of negative energy and negative um, direction of a program. Um, and I think that, you know, for student athletes and for players such as yourself, you want to have fun with soccer. And the first time that soccer isn't fun for you, you look towards going other directions and leaving the program or going down a bad path. And um, for me as a coach, I want to make sure that that never happens again for players that I have had experiences with, um, with me being an, as an assistant coach, as a club coach, um, to, to hear those things. I think that I want to make sure that I'm that positive direction and make sure that they continuously fall in love with a sport that they fell in love with as a kid growing up in their backyard, going to rec games at when they were four years old and five years old, uh, being able to go outside and have a kick around with their, their friends. I want to make sure that that's always remembered uh, throughout a player's time with me within my programs and when I'm coaching. What can a player do if, if they're not given the right support from a coach? I think that there's a lot of things that players can do. I think that one of the biggest things is players need to support each other. You know, if their coach isn't supporting them, um, or outside, uh, you know, it could be professors, it could be faculty. Players need to be able to support each other. I think a great example of players supporting each other is the U.S. Women's National Team and supporting each other and themselves. And you see the outcry and support from uh, the fans uh, because of that. I think that player supporting players goes a long, long way. Players need that support, and they might not necessarily know how to communicate that with their teammates they need to be willing to open up towards their teammates because they might have the same mindset. They need to be able to support themselves. That's what it boils down to at the end of the day. If, if, if they're there for each other and supporting themselves, they're rallying around a cause. Um, and I think that that can go a long way in their development and their continuous love for the game and being able to play soccer for as long as they can. How can a coach boost the confidence of a young woman? I think that it's it's twofold. I think that, like I mentioned earlier, I think that a lot of times players, especially on the field and in practice, need that reassurance, that constant acknowledgement from the coach, that constant positivity of, hey, you know, that was a good turn, or hey, that was a great pass. If you're given those those little reassurances, they start building up and building up, and they builds that confidence on the field. I know that I have a player here who uh, struggles with her confidence too, and she's reading a couple books about how can she be self-confident in herself uh, when she feels like she has no confidence throughout the team, throughout her friend group. And it, it's important to be able to, to go to others for that support. But also, we as, we as just human beings and as just genuine people 
as a whole we need to recognize that we need to be better and be more supportive of others because we don't know what battles other people are facing. We don't know how they're struggling. I'm very big and a huge advocate on uh, mental health. And for me, I, as a coach, recognize it oftentimes than not to be able to push them and put them in the right direction. Uh, but to be able to be that positive person in their lives, that person that they can go to for support and that just extra little confidence is going to go a long way. Um, it, 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 it's something that keeps them in the game. It's something that helps them through life in general. And, and with my experiences and especially uh, how I establish my relationship with all my players here with the soccer circle, um, they know that I'm there to help them and that I'm going to do my absolute best to give them the confidence that they need. But all I do as a coach is give them the tools and the resources. I don't make players confident. I don't make players into, into great all-conference players or players of the year. I don't do that. I just give them the resources and the tools for them to be successful too. Um, but it, it, it comes down to the player also reflecting and realizing that there's people around her that are going to support her. And so if she buys into not and not buys in, I wouldn't say, I would say more of begins to understand and acknowledge and know that she, there are people around her that are looking out for her. That's going to make her confident. And at least in my experience has been the case. Sometimes the teammates are the ones that are making the player lose confidence. What should the player do in a situation like this? Of course. I think that I've seen that multiple times where you have players, it can be injured players on the sideline being negative. It could be players who don't play as much being negative. It could be someone that's really, really um, maybe talented, but also has a little bit of an ego to them. And it's making sure that the message is communicated in the right way. First off, if, you want your teammate to be better. If you're a really good player and there's another player that might be struggling with something, you know, the, there's a way to communicate that that's not so direct and so hurtful to a player. You know, we live in a society where our words and our actions can really affect other players. And so for me, I try to, to nip it really quickly. I think that it's important for like I said, first players to talk about it, but our coach, the coaches should be there and others to be able to understand that we have a vision and a goal and that if you're not a part of that vision, a part of that family, you know, I, I talk about in my program model how you're a teammate first, yes, but you're also family and you wouldn't talk about family behind your back. Um, I think that that's extremely important because you have to realize that it's not going to help anyone in the team culture. It's not going to help your team program move forward and be competitive and be successful and just help individuals grow. If you're being negative, if you're being someone that's chirping on the sidelines or at practice in a negative way, there's a way to communicate things in a, in a better positive direction, a positive affirmation of, way that we can talk to teammates and say the right things that doesn't hurt them because that confidence can just be shattered by teammates too, not just coaches.
Why is it important for players to understand and watch high, higher level matches? No, I think it's extremely important. I think that if you're able to dissect, if you're an outside back, if you're a striker, um, even if you're a goalkeeper, I think that a lot of my goalkeepers, uh, I tell them to watch how their back line plays so that they know where their position is on the field as they move forward. I know that if you're looking at a particular player that maybe you like enjoy watching or you want to mimic her style you know you want to constantly be looking at highlights of her constantly watching what she's doing in the game but you also want to be looking at what she's doing off the ball in order to be in the right positions um, you let the ball do the work and so if you put yourself in the right position then you can be successful but if you're not doing the work off the ball you're not going to be successful and that's what the professionals do at the very best level and at the highest levels they're doing the work off the ball and a lot of young student athletes or young female soccer players uh, tend to mimic their favorite players and tend to watch their favorite players and want to be like them and aspire to be like them when they're at the six seven eight nine ten years old um, where we say like i want to be a professional soccer player okay well how did they get there and so they watch them um, so I think it's extremely valuable and important that if you want to play at a very high level of soccer, that you're watching what the highest level of players are doing at the Division One level, at the NWSL level. Um, I think it's extremely important. Are you dealing, dealing with any delays in recruiting because of this break that we're on? Oh, a ton of delays. Yes, so the break is very much a... Um, it's a real world reality and we have to understand that that is the case that um, this is something that has rarely happened in our history and that we could understand that there are going to be a lot of setbacks. I know that for me, I also work in uh, athletic communications as a sports information assistant. And so to communicate to softball players and to baseball players and track and field uh, athletes that their season is cut short that they're not going to have the season that they were expecting to have their senior year is extremely tough. And so that's also affecting that same aspect is affecting recruiting too, where uh, we're not going to be able to go out to tournaments anymore because of social distance distancing and uh, tournaments canceling and showcases canceling. But I think uh, what's even going to be more difficult is all these players are not going to be able to play their game too. And it's going to set a lot of people back at the D1, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO level, um, but also the club level. Um, where a lot of these players that are in that critical developmental stage are going to be suffering to be able to develop and to get back on track. Being able to go outside and work individually is going to be extremely huge on them in terms of the recruiting scheme. Um, a lot of recruiting has, if you've been doing your work, a lot of recruiting has already been in place and you have your kind of list of who you're looking at already. But uh, with our dead periods, and how we can't go out anymore for at least the foreseeable future anyways. Um, yes, it's, it, it is impacting us a little bit, but it's going to impact everybody. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to show a lot about college coaches and teams and how they're going to overcome this adversity for next year, whether they're going to 
rise to the occasion and want to be better for next year despite the the difficulties or want to sit back and watch Netflix and play video games and kind of not want to better yourself as a soccer player. So I think it's going to affect recruiting a lot and it already is affecting recruiting uh, in general as a whole. Should high school athletes be worried about not being recruited because of this? I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that uh, for me, when I was in Alabama and Georgia specifically, uh, we were recruiting high school athletes regardless. I don't necessarily uh, agree nor disagree of ECNL, DA, club showcases, ID camps, ID clinics, high school games. If there's talent out there, go out and go find it. In my background, uh, I've helped assist in bringing in 16 student athletes in my first season, 29 student athletes in the second season. A lot of that is getting out there um, and seeing who's out there and who's going to be a positive impact on your program. You see a lot at these showcases of coaches musing and um, kind of just talking and watching one game. You know, for me, I've created a list when I go out recruiting where I'm seeing five, four, five, six games in an hour to to be able to impress and then to get on the phone and to see how their personalities are. But that's also the same thing at the high school level, too. And that's even more of a focus, too, because you can really dissect that one high school game that you're at. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a hassle or something that makes it more difficult for high school players to be recruiting. Um, I think that this is a great time that if they're kind of indoors right now, that this is a great opportunity to, if they have video, break down some video of yourself and, and try to see what you can be better as a person, but also maybe clip together some and send it out to coaches because a lot of coaches are going to be at their homes now that they can't be on their campuses. And so they're going to have a lot of free time on their hands. So they're going to have that time to really look at you and really see high school players that maybe not necessarily that they would have that opportunity while they're um, in the office during the year. So I think it's a, actually a great opportunity for high school players to be able to get looked at by college coaches, even though despite the inability to, to see them in games at the current moment, because we're all in that situation right now at, at this moment, college, high school, club. So I think being able to get innovative in a way, I think is important to be able to recruit. If you want to be recruited, put your name out there, cast a big net, you know, don't necessarily settle in division one. Division two is absolutely great. I, most of my experience is in division three. I know a ton of players that are high quality at JUCO level and NAI is just as good as well. Um, and so I think that if you want to get recruited, even at the high school level, and I don't think it puts a damper on the recruiting, even though we're not able to go out as coaches, uh, to put your name out there and, and see what bites. So we've made it to our final question. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? I think my biggest impact for soccer and the world is there. I have a tattoo on my one, my left wrist that says make a difference. And I want to make sure that I make a difference in the world in some way, shape or form. And that might just be helping one person out. Cause if the, I help that one person out, that person might help two people out. And those two people might help two, another two people out. And that because I made that one difference on a player's life, that it will go and help others in the world as doctors, as nurses, as special ed teachers, as lawyers, it just being able to make that difference with one person, I think can go a long way. In terms of soccer, 
I think soccer is a beautiful game. I think it's a game that we all love, and I think it's something that we can go towards in troubling times and, and difficult times such as this. It's something that gives us that outlet. When a couple of years ago, I had a few players develop a tattoo for me of a semicolon for mental health. Um, and it's because I believe that for them, soccer was that outlet. And I want to do something for, for them that was important to me that I believed in too. And because soccer is that outlet for others, I want to make sure that I can keep the game fun and also give them that outlet always until the end of my career, whether I win championships, whether I win games, whether I lose games, wherever I may be in the country. I just want to make sure that the game is always fun, enjoyable, and that they have someone to always fall back on if they need that support. I love how positive and uplifting Don is. I think it's really important for someone to find the right culture or team that they fit in, somewhere where they're allowed to fail, where they can grow. Surrounding themselves with a positive team and a positive coach can be really impactful. So I'm really happy we talked a little bit about the recruitment process right now. I know this recruitment process is a little tough, and I feel very bad for some of my junior and senior friends. So I encourage you to use the advice that Don gave. Reach out to any schools that you're interested and go ahead and focus on your own personal development. And until I see you next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. Thank you.